on it. I need to wear that cap more often. A couple of preliminary things while I move the furniture around. Uh, you all need to know, and I need to, to, to say this in front of everybody so that he's a witness to it, but a few months ago, I was slated to uh, speak one Sunday morning. Had a conflict come up uh, at work. Pretty rare that I got to work on a Sunday, but situation being as it was on the tough year we were having in the farming industry, we had to work that day to get it done. And so I called Jared, or texted him, I don't know what I did. Uh, it was Saturday afternoon, going on maybe sundown Saturday. I said, Jared, I, I, I got to work tomorrow. So Jared come right through, and he didn't get up here and say, hey, I didn't get much notice. This is going to be a lousy sermon. You know, Doug hung me out to dry. But he come up here and made no excuses, and you all, or I think most of you all, did not know that. So thank you, Jared, for doing that. According to Jill, it was one of your better sermons. <laughs> and I thought about calling you last night just to, just to test you, but you, you, had my, you had my number blocked, apparently. <laughs> uh, the other thing is I found out is... Uh, there are still a few of y'all who are a little late on the uptick that I'm not an elder here anymore. Uh, I've actually talked to a few folks over the past week, and they said, I, I noticed on the bulletin your name isn't the... Uh... So if you weren't here that Sunday, uh, let me let you know again. Uh, I did step down as being an elder here. I enjoyed my time. I enjoy this family, and I enjoy uh, to keep working uh, on behalf of this family in, in just some different ways. Uh, and let me throw in my two cents on that. Uh, the four men that are serving us, Wayne, Jay, Kyle, and Richard, please continue to pray for those men. I know a lot of y'all do, and y'all have told me time and time again that you pray for the elders, and I want to ask you to, to please continue that. One last thing, and I'll, I'll get to the lesson. Um, when you're filling in for Patrick, you realize... Uh, the effort and the time that you got to go into to to put some kind of a lesson uh, together for this group and he does it uh, every week time in and time out and yeah we we hired him to do that that's true but you know if he's going to go to that much time and trouble and if we're going to pay him that much money I really think that lesson ought to stick with us a little bit longer than from here to the dinner table we all have our different methods. Some of us like to take notes. Uh, Molly does a real good job of kind of recapping the highlights on the blog. Uh, you can go on the computer now, uh, if you'd like to, and re-listen to it. But I think it's a shame that that much effort can go into something like that. But I think we need, to, we need to make that stick with us just a little bit longer. I know sometimes some of your life groups, uh, we kind of rehash that. We get a chance to take that lesson that he gives us and kind of okay, how do we make this work? How do we put this in my life this week? How can I take this and, and, and make, it, make it part of what I do? I'm not expecting you to do that today. Starting next week, uh, you can do that. Charles, you want to go ahead and, and, and come up here and get, get comfortable? and let, let me, Let's unmute your microphone here. All right. Uh, 
I'm going to go ahead. You get pick which stool you want, Charles. I'm going to I'm going to use Charles here for a little presentation in just a minute. Uh, being the most decorated journalist in the room, I think you know it's nothing compared to the bunkhouse news. But uh, anyway, before we do this, I want to give you all just a little exercise. And for the purposes of this exercise, understand that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. Which of course the Scripture tells us we are. So. With regard to this exercise, think of those as, as one, okay? Now, having that been said, I want you, off the top of your head, just first thing that comes to your mind, okay? In your mind, think of five characters from the Bible. Five characters from the Bible. Just rip them off in your head. What are the first five you think of? Shouldn't take you long, okay. Hold that thought for a minute. There was an interview done, um, it was published in September of 2013 in the New York Magazine. Anybody get that? I didn't think so. Uh, With a man named Antonin Scalia. Let's see see those civics social studies folks who know who Antonin Scalia is. One of our uh, Supreme Court justices. Uh, He's Italian in background, if you couldn't tell by his name. Uh, His faith is Catholic. Uh, And so he had this no-name interviewer, uh, did an interview with him. I don't have the, I should have credited the interviewer, shouldn't I? Shame on, a woman. Shame on, oh, it was a woman. Okay, well, you need to sit down then. Uh, and of course, this interview talked about the Constitution and law and, you know, decisions that the Supreme Court makes or might have coming up. But at some point in time in the conversation, uh, it turned to Justice Scalia's legacy. And the question was, well, 50 years from now, how do you think you're going to be looked at as opposed to your service on the bench and some of the decisions uh, you handed down? So just remember, we're kind of jumping in the middle of this interview, and Charles is going to give the responses of the interviewer, and I'm going to give the responses uh, of Judge Scalia. So when they got to that point uh, of the interview, uh, when they asked about his legacy, what are they going to think about you 50 years from now and he answered when I'm dead and gone I'll either be sublimely happy or terribly unhappy (laughs) you believe in heaven and hell oh of course I do don't you believe in heaven and hell no oh my does that mean I'm not going uh unfortunately not wait heaven or hell that doesn't mean you're not going to hell just because you don't believe in it. That's Catholic doctrine. Everyone is going one place or the other. But you don't have to be Catholic to get into heaven or even believe in it? Of course not. Oh, so you don't know where I'm going. Thank God. Uh, I don't know where you're going. I don't even know whether Judas Iscariot is in hell. I mean, that's what the Pope meant when he said, who am I to judge? He may have recanted and had severe penance just before he died. Who knows? Can we talk about... I even believe in the devil. You do? Of course. Yeah, he's a real person. Hey, come on, that's standard doctrine also. Every Catholic believes that. Every Catholic? I mean, there's a lot of different varieties of Catholic. Well, if you're faithful to the Catholic dogma, that's certainly a large part of it. Have you seen evidence of the devil lately? You know, it's curious. In the Gospels, the devil is doing all sorts of things. He's making pigs run off cliffs. 
He's possessing people and whatnot. And that doesn't happen very much anymore. No. It's because he's smart. So what's he doing now? What he's doing now is getting people not to believe in him or in God. He's much more successful that way. That has really painful implications for atheists. Are you sure that's the devil's work? I didn't say atheists are the devil's work. Well, you're saying the devil is persuading people to not believe in God. Couldn't there be other reasons to not believe? Well, there certainly can be other reasons, but it certainly favors the devil's desires. I mean, come on. That's the explanation for why there's not demonic possession all over the place. That's always puzzled me. What happened to the devil, you know? He used to be all over the place. Right. He used to be all over the New Testament. That's true. What happened to him? I think he just got wilier. He got wilier. Isn't it terribly frightening to believe in the devil? You're looking at me as though I'm weird. Are you so out of touch with most of America, most of which believes in the devil? I mean, Jesus Christ believed in the devil. It's in the Gospels. You travel in circles that are so removed from mainstream America that you are appalled that anybody would believe in the devil. Most of mankind has believed in the devil for all of history. Many more intelligent people than you or me have believed in the devil. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Charles. myself too. Sorry about that. Let's go back to our exercise. I asked you to think of five characters from the Bible, just off the top of your head. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Samuel, David, Moses, Paul, Peter, Job, Daniel, Samuel. Did I get everybody on your list? Jesus Christ. Yeah, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Paul, okay. Ruth, Naomi, huh? Joshua, I missed Joshua, okay. Now, raise your hand if the devil was one of your five. Good, it worked out perfectly just the way I planned it. You know, Take Moses, for example. He, he's in four of the books, and he's referenced in several others. David's in three or four books, and then the Psalms are full of his words. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But when asked to name five characters from the Bible, we didn't name one that appears in Genesis, one that appears in Revelation. And if you look real close... He's all the way in between, too. We don't like to think about him. I don't like to think about him. But uh, I just wanted to take the time this morning to kind of talk about something that we don't like to talk about much. My inspiration, if you can call it that, comes from a fascinating little book C.S. Lewis wrote called The Screw Tape Letters. It's a uh, fictional work. Uh, and it's correspondence between a senior demon and a junior demon. This junior demon has been assigned one man, and his job is to keep that man from being a believer, uh, and when he does become a believer, to pull him back away from that faith. I'm not going to tell you how it ends. I'll let you read it for yourself. 
But in the preface to that book, Lewis writes this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. I'm going to try to land somewhere between those two extremes this morning. From time to time, as humans, we have to be reminded of certain things. Just so happens this week, I had to go to an annual meeting, a company I work for, where they go over all, over, they go over all the regulatory issues that we have to deal with. And we do a lot of safety training. Now, I always get back to the store. They say, well, how was the meeting? I say, you know, same old, same old, you know. You get on the forklift, put your seatbelt on. You know, if you're going to be working on a piece of machinery that's electrified, make sure you lock it out. You know, if you're going into a place where your respirator, make sure all that, you know, all those things. And we go over that every year, time and time again. But I will admit, every year when I get back, I always stop and think, you know, am I really being as safe as I ought to be? Have, has it just so happened that nobody's fallen off anything yet or, or a shard of something hasn't shot in somebody's eye? Uh, so I re-examine uh, our safety program every year to wonder if, are we really being careful enough? I think in the same way, from time to time, we need to stop and realize the danger that's out there to us. I think if we can believe in a good, holy, and righteous forces that can move to positiveness in this world, then I think we have to also admit that there are bad, that there are evil, that there are unholy forces in this world that are also at work. And we need to be aware of them. And we need to have, have a plan for how we're going to respond to that. So I'm not preaching on love and peace and joy and happiness. It's, it's kind of a downer lesson this morning. But this is your, this is your annual reminder that, that there's somebody out there working against us, okay? So let's start with who is our enemy? Let's identify him. Well, in Scripture, there are several, several different descriptions. Uh, prince of the dark world, father of lies, the deceiver, masquerader. But I want to focus on the one that's in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now let's put, let's put ourselves in first century Middle East, Eastern Europe. Pick your spot there. I imagine there were lots of wild beasts roaming around back then. And I imagine if someone had to make a trip from one place to another, one had to be concerned with the fact that what if I run across a lion or a bear or some other kind of, of wild, wild beast? There's danger out there. And when Peter tells them this, they, they understand what that means. So now imagine if 
the news bulletin came across this morning, there's a, there's a roaring lion coming down Lamar Avenue in Paris, Texas. How would we respond to that news? You know, we, might, we might look both sides out the doorway before we go out to our car, might we? We might bring the kids in from outside. Hey, there's, there's a danger out there. We need to be aware of that. Well, if we're going to be aware of the threat, then we need to also know how to act, how to respond to that threat. I also want to spend just a moment to talk about who our enemy is not. Our enemy is not some power-hungry dictator in Eastern Europe. Our enemy is not some terrorist group in the Middle East. Our enemy is not the cholesterol on my french fries. Now I'll admit, Vladimir Putin's aggression in Europe and in the Middle East is a concern. I think he's got some bad ideas and I hope somebody, somehow we can come up with a way to, to restrain that man and what he's doing. I think that needs to be addressed. I think this ISIS group, or whatever name they go by, I think they're a real danger, not just to where they're at, but to the whole world. And I think that threat needs to be addressed. Somebody needs to come up with a plan to deal with that. And yes, I do believe that high cholesterol can be very detrimental to my health. And I've got a plan for that. I don't always stick to it, but I've got a plan. And every once in a while I have to be reminded of what that plan is. But the worst thing that any of those entities can affect me are not near the threat that this character can be to us. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly realms. Now, can those evil forces, can those authorities in that dark heavenly realm, can they use the physical instruments in this world for their purposes? I believe they can. I believe they can. When I see some of the evil that some people or some organizations are doing do I think that the devil have a hand in that absolutely because when I see goodness when I see righteousness when I see positive effects in the world I believe that God's spirit can have a hand in that so why wouldn't I believe the alternative a couple examples of that in Acts chapter 5 I think we read this in Bible class a couple weeks ago man named Ananias is going to sell some land and give the money uh, to, the, to the group there. But it says in verse 2 of chapter 5, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And see how Peter responded. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit 
and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Satan had filled Ananias' heart. It's difficult for me to understand. Let me give you another example. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter has, has just confessed in front of uh, the rest of the apostles into Christ that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, and he got a little attaboy for that. But right after that, verse 21 of Matthew 16, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That was the plan to fulfill the scriptures. Verse 22, this same Peter, it says, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. There's that word again, Greg, rebuke. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. How does Jesus respond in verse 23? Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, it would take a lot for me to look at somebody and call them that. Had Peter somehow metamorphosed into Satan? It was still Peter. What's Jesus talking about? That somehow those powers, that evilness that sourced in Satan, had made its way into Peter. In that interview with uh, Justice Scalia, talking about how, gee, you're reading the Gospels, you know, there's people walking around demon-possessed all the time. You're going to ask Doug Ferris in year 2015, is there such a thing as demon possession? See how I put my own self on the spot? <coughs> well, I don't know, but I think you can have some of this. I think... That position may take a different kind of form uh, because we're going to have a spirit inside of us. We talk about how when we're baptized into Christ, we put on Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. Well, if the Holy Spirit's not dwelling within us, then what is dwelling within you? Maybe it's possession in a different form. Simply because, as we spoke there in the interview, he's gotten a little more deceptive. You know, a guy running around crazy screaming through the cemetery, that guy's whacked. He must be possessed. But nowadays, maybe that possession takes on a, a more subtler thing. I'll let you think about that for yourself. So, there's an enemy roaming out there. What are we to do? And just in case... You don't think you're subject to this. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I remember Richard P. sharing with us one time. A lady had just become baptized, a new, new sister in Christ. And he flat out told her, you now have a big old target drawn on your back. 
And if you don't, if you don't think the devil's been working on you before, he's sure going to be working on you now. Because you have just pledged your allegiance to the other side. You have become his enemy. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Verse 6, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up against it. There was a story from Greek mythology. A woman had a child, and she was told to go dip that child in the river to render him invincible. But of course, when she dipped him in the river, she had to hold on to him, so she held him by his heel. In which case, that part of his body did not go into the river. In which case, a battle comes along, and he gets an arrow shot in his heel, and he dies. The young man's name was Achilles. That's where we get Achilles' heel from. Maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes, we can get to feeling just a little bit invincible. It's great to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's, it's good to have a strong faith. That's what we need. But we don't need to become to the point to where we forget that we have a weakness. Some of us have more than one weakness. I've, I, I've got a couple, and, and, uh, and man, it's, it's tough sometimes. The devil knows where my weaknesses are at. So, what do we do? They started issuing 
this weekend hurricane warnings all along the eastern seaboard. There's a, there's a hurricane coming. It may have already come by now. I, I didn't check the news yesterday. But warnings are going out. Be prepared. It might not be as bad as they think, but it might turn left and come right at us. You need to be prepared. We don't know where that roaring lion is at. We don't know what bush he's hiding behind. But he's going to take an opportunity that will come. And we've got to be ready when he does. In James chapter 4, James gives this advice. Starting in verse 7, he says, Submit to yourselves then, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, what does resist the devil mean? Come near to God, and he will come near to you. I think, I think there's something to say in that, and that our relationship with God, the stronger it is, the closer we are to him. That the devil will, will flee from us. Matthew chapter 6 is a recounting of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And part of that prayer is where they ask that he delivers us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God is our only source of help, and we've got to call out to him for that help. Acts 22, verse 16, it talks about a group being baptized, and as they come out, it says, calling on the name of the Lord. I've always wondered, what does calling on the name of the Lord mean? But the Lord is our salvation. And in those times of temptation, in those times of trials, I think there's a real avenue to calling out and that when we do, uh, that the demons will flee from us. One other source I think we can find is in each other. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. In this way you fulfill the law of Christ. I think that's what God wants us when we're in community. When we build a relationship with each other as well as with him. Because you know, I'll admit when I look at Jesus living a perfect life. I know he was tempted in every way just as I was. But man, he was perfect. And sometimes I find it a little difficult to relate to somebody who's perfect. But if I've got a brother or sister who knows those temptations and frankly has stumbled like I have, I can gain a little more strength from that. I can gain a little more support from that. So we also need to be there for each other. We need to look at each other for a means of support. I imagine when this hurricane is coming along, there's some fellow out there nailing up boards to his window and his neighbors may or may not come over and help him out so he can go over and help them. We've all got to help each other. We're all in this together and we all face the same struggles, face the same temptations. So let's be there for each other. So what are we not to do? 1 John chapter 2, 
verse 15 says, we're not to love the world. And James chapter 4, verse 4 says not to become friends with the world. Well, what does that mean? I mean, we're in the world every day. The idea of isolating ourselves from the world so that we don't become like them, that's very difficult to do. Sometimes even uh, the blessings of this life uh, that God provides for us can sometimes make us maybe become a little too attached to our blessings and our possessions and the world. So I think we always have to have our eyes in a different place. Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. We can't become so enamored by this world that we fall into those temptations that it poses to us. Though we still need to be involved, it's difficult to do. Now, I think I told you there earlier, I'm not breaking any new ground this morning. I'm not giving you any new revelation or insight into the Scripture. But I think from time to time, we need to sit down and, and remind ourselves that there's some danger out there. There was a TV show back in the 70s, I think, called Hill Street Blues. Anybody old enough to remember that show? They had their little meeting, you know, they, they went over all the stuff for the day. And when the meeting broke up, the, whoever that head guy up there, he always had one, one common phrase. Charles, you remember what it was? Be careful, Be careful out there. I mean, these are policemen. They're, yeah, they're going to a dangerous world, but we're all going into a dangerous world. Now, once again, I don't want to stray too far over here and become so fascinated become so fearful uh, of the danger out there that, I, that I'm afraid to go out there at all. I'll just, I'll just stay in here all week long, you know. I don't have to deal with it. But God calls us to go out there. He calls us to be soldiers. He calls us to be carriers of life. But we need to be aware along the way that there are some threats. There are some dangers out there. And we don't need to dismiss them. Let me close, I know you wanted to hear that phrase, with a few verses from the little bitty book of Jude, starting in verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. The lesson is yours.